Hi, you're about to get smarter in just a few minutes with Curiosity Daily from Curiosity.com. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you learn about the darker side of nudge theory with Nobel Prize winning economist Richard Thaler. We'll also answer a listener question about how hybrid fruits like plum cots are made. And you'll learn the difference between pirates, privateers, corsairs, and buccaneers. Let's satisfy some curiosity. Nobel Prize winning economist Richard Thaler and his co-author Cass Sunstein have just released a new edition of their mega bestseller about behavioral economics called Nudge, the final edition. Yesterday, Richard Thaler told us about how nudge theory has changed the world since the book came out in 2008. And today he's going to tell us about the dark side of nudge theory, which he calls sludge. The mantra of nudge is make it easy. If you want somebody to do something, make it easy. Sludge is the opposite. It's the stuff that slows us down and mucks things up or traps us. The term was coined, was actually coined on Twitter. I don't know if a scientific term has ever been coined before on Twitter, <laughs> but my previous book was called Misbehaving. And the first review of Misbehaving appeared in a London newspaper, The Paywall. <laughs> and my editor sent me a link, said, hey, there's a, a review of Misbehaving. Here's a link. And I get there, there's a paywall. But there's a trial for one pound, a one-month trial for one pound. Woohoo! So I figure, all right, I'm going to pay a pound to read the first review of this book. But then I say, hmm, I know about nudging. I know that they're going to automatically renew me. Maybe I better check the price. It's probably not one pound. It turns out to be 27 pounds. That's pretty pricey. It's like 50 bucks. So I said, all right, what do I have to do to quit? Well, to quit, I have to call London. In London business hours, not on a toll-free line. <laughs> so I realized, all right, this is from this is going to become a lifetime subscription. And I tweeted about it and said, sludge. <laughs> and uh, so hash sludge has become a minor meme. And so we have a chapter called hashtag sludge. And it's full of this kind of private sector mucking things up. And also in the public sector, for example, I bet filing your taxes is one of your favorite activities, right? <laughs> Sure. Said no one ever. <laughs> now, how do you file taxes in Sweden? You get a text message that says, we think we owe you 12,000 kroner if you accept press one and the money appears in your bank account. That's it. One <laughs> click tax return. 90% of U.S. taxpayers could do that under current law. Anybody who takes the standard deduction, the government can compute your tax return without any help from you. Why don't they do that? There's a law that prevents them from doing it. And if you think the tax preparation firms had something to do with that law being written, you would not be wrong.
Taxes are never fun, but they're certainly easier in some countries than others. Again, that was Richard Thaler, winner of the 2017 Nobel Prize in Economics and co-author of the new book, Nudge, the final edition. You can find a link to pick it up in the show notes. We got a listener question from Carmelita in Newton, Massachusetts, who writes, Hi, I'm eight years old and I want to know how fruits like plum cots are made. How did they join two fruits together? Love this question, Carmelita. Well, we found one eight-year-old that knows something I don't. So what is a plum cot? It's a cross between a plum and an apricot. I didn't know that was a thing. Can you buy those in like grocery stores? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Okay. All right. Clearly, I don't spend enough time in the produce aisle. (laughs) So to understand how fruit breeders create hybrids, and that's what you call crossbred fruits like plum cots, you first need to understand how plants create fruit in the first place. So first, those plants produce flowers full of pollen, which gets spread from one flower to another. When that pollen lands in another flower, the two combine their DNA to produce a fertilized seed in the flower's ovary. That ovary grows to be the fruit that we eat, a fruit that's full of seeds that can produce more plants to continue the cycle. Hundreds of years ago, humans started to figure out that they could tweak this process to produce entirely new fruits. Plant breeders would start by growing two different but related types of fruiting plants in a greenhouse, say a plum tree and an apricot tree. Then they'd take pollen from one plant and put it in the other. The fruit that resulted would combine the DNA from both plants, and it would have a mix of traits from both fruits. But a lot of different things can happen when you combine the same DNA. I mean, just think about how different two puppies from the same litter can look. In the same way, hybrid fruits from the same plant varieties can look and taste very different. So, plant breeders don't stop there. They repeat this fertilization process with a bunch of different plants, then they take the fruits they like the best, and they plant their seeds. Those plants might be pollinated the normal way, or crossed again with a different plant until they produce the exact fruit the breeders want. That's how plum cots are made. A famous botanist named Luther Burbank crossed a plum tree with an apricot tree to produce fruits that were 50% plum and 50% apricot. Later, a botanist named Floyd Zager, who had learned from Burbank's methods, created the pluot, which is three-fifths plum and two-fifths apricot, just like the letters in its name. There's also the aprium, which is 70% apricot and 30% plum. And there are endless others. Some fruits you may not even realize are hybrids. Like boysenberries are a hybrid of blackberry and raspberry. Meyer lemons are a hybrid of lemon and mandarin orange. And grapefruits are an accidental hybrid of orange and pomelo. Tweaking what nature does already can have some very tasty results. Thanks for your question, Carmelita. If you have a question, send it in to curiosity at discovery.com or leave us a voicemail at 312-596-5208. We're just going to leave alone the fact that you pronounce apricot like British English? I don't pronounce it like British English. I pronounce it like a Californian. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Today I learned that California was annexed by the United Kingdom. No. No. (laughs) But can you get apricots there or... No, it's only apricots. Oh, wow. Hmm. Okay, well. Now I need to I need to put a poll on Twitter just to see if I'm <laughs> if I'm alone in this. Okay. 
Hey, Ashley, do you know what this Sunday is? <laughs> yes, I do, Cody. What is it? Arr, it's Talk Like a Pirate Day, matey. It's International Talk Like a Pirate Day. Oh, right. International. <laughs> well, in on our of this hilarious holiday... <laughs> Well, that's why we're nattering about all the different salty dogs to sail the high seas. Oh, boy. Okay, but seriously, if you've been listening to this podcast for a few weeks now, you'll you know that I'm not a big pirate talker. But today, I thought we should still answer an eternal pirate question that's relevant even when people aren't talking like pirates. What's the difference between a pirate, a buccaneer, a corsair, and a privateer? Arr, let's get to the briny deep of it. <laughs> if you couldn't see, I was, I was like, what, what do you call this? Like, I was putting my fist up in the air, mm. like a, or swinging my fist in front of my chest, like a, like a pirate. I saw, yeah, I saw that. It's, yeah. I saw that. You wanted this, Cody. I did. I, I, this is actually, I'm pretty interested in, to learn all this stuff, actually. So the word pirate is the most general and all-encompassing term that we're going to talk about. The term pirate refers to anyone committing crimes on the high seas. It comes from the Greek word pirates, which just means brigand or a sort of old-timey gang member. Pirates have patrolled the oceans since ancient times and still do today. But piracy's prime was from 1650 to 1730, when more than 5,000 pirates were said to be at sea. Now, pirates were generally unsavory people, but privateers had slightly better pedigree. These were basically government-sanctioned pirates. They had written orders from their monarch to raid enemy ships, although they owned their own boats and hired their own crew. Privateers split their spoils with their government— Countries usually commissioned privateers in wartime to boost their naval strength. But this backfired. Some men skipped out on military service because privateering was more profitable. Corsairs were like privateers, but with a more religious mission. From medieval times to the early 1800s, the Muslim Ottoman Empire battled it out with Christian European nations over who would rule the Mediterranean Sea. Both sides used both regular navies and government-backed pirates called corsairs. But just because they had official papers doesn't mean everything they did was above board. Sometimes they would go beyond their commissions and conduct extracurricular raids. So the line between pirating and privateering was blurry. The buccaneers were another location-specific group of pirates. You probably know them as the Pirates of the Caribbean— their home base was the island of Hispaniola, where Haiti and the Dominican Republic are now. Buccaneers primarily hunted wild game on this island, which describes the origin for their name. It's derived from the French word boucan, which was a type of grill used to smoke meat. The main enemy of the buccaneers was Spain, which controlled Hispaniola until 1665. The government tried to rid the island of pirates by killing off the game animals— but it only gave the buccaneers more land to control and made them more dependent on plundering Spanish ships. So, there you have it. Now you scallywags had better use the right words when you're nattering like us swashbucklers, or we'll send ye to Davy Jones's locker. 
I really want to apologize for Cody. The correct pronunciation is, so there you have it. Now, you scallywags, better use the right words when you're not written like a swashbucklers. Or we'll send ye to Davy Jones' locker. Turn into an Irish pirate there. That was impressive. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not something I've practiced, Cody. It's not? <laughs> no. Well... Ashley, let's give our esteemed listener a sneak peek at what they'll hear next week on Curiosity Daily. Next week, you'll learn about a writing trick that could help you keep the peace in your relationships, how scientists saw behind a black hole for the first time, the mystery of how Tibetan monks continue to meditate after they die, a new type of matter called a time crystal, which researchers may have actually created, why a lack of sleep really does make you eat more, and more. Okay, so now let's recap what we learned today. Starting with the fact that there is a darker side of nudge called sludge. Nudge helps you do things by making them the default choice, while sludge happens when you have to take unnecessary extra steps, like canceling a subscription. That means it's worth taking a close look to see what it takes to get out of a commitment before you commit. Gym memberships, anyone? Seriously. <laughs> yeah, I know I had to print out a form and then snail mail it in. To, like, across the country in order to quit my last gym. Mm -hmm. The worst. And you have to postmark it, like, 60 days before they actually cancel it? Because that makes any sense and is convenient. I will say gyms are one of the best places where it's the most important to shop local. Because the local gyms really are a lot less of a pain. I, I did used to go to a local gym in Wicker Park in Chicago. And, uh, yeah, no issues ever. It's the best. Yeah, totally. We also learned that hybrid fruits like plum cots are made by taking the pollen from one plant, like a plum tree, and putting it in the flowers of another, like an apricot tree. The fruit that results is a combination of the DNA from both plants, which means the fruit has a mix of traits from the two fruits. And we learned that 70% of my Twitter followers pronounce it apricot. Wait, so You posted that poll like three minutes ago. Well, it's there are now... That's a sample size of 20. So, all right, now it's down to 62%. Let's stop talking about it. I don't want it to get any lower. Uh -huh. <laughs> but yes, I wanted to share a list of bizarre hybrid fruits because there are, you could do some really weird things with different fruits. Now, the thing is, they have to be similar. So they have to be two stone fruits or they have to be two citrus fruits. You can't combine like an apple with a banana. That doesn't work. I wish it did. But there's the nectocotum, which is a hybrid of apricot, plum, and nectarine. There's peacotum, which is peach, apricot, and plum. There's nectarcot, which is nectarine and apricot. There's lemonquat, which is lemon and kumquat. And limequat is lime and kumquat, obviously. There's tangelo, or tangelo. I've never known how to say that, which is a delicious combination of tangerine and either pomelo or grapefruit. There's yuzu, which is used in a lot of Asian cooking, and that is a combo of mandarin and papayas, which is a wrinkly, basically inedible citrus fruit. And I've seen this in the store. There is ugly fruit, which is like a big, ugly grapefruit looking thing. And that is a combination of grapefruit, orange and tangerine. It's basically a sweeter version of grapefruit. And I kind of want to try it. You're making me really want a smoothie right now. <laughs> yeah. 
And we learned that pirate is an all-encompassing term that refers to anyone who commits a crime on the high seas. Privateers were pirates who were sanctioned by a government to raid enemy ships. Corsairs were also backed by a government, but were more specific to the Mediterranean and the war between the Muslim Ottoman Empire and European Christian states. And finally, buccaneers were pirates of the Caribbean who did most of their deeds around modern-day Haiti and the Dominican Republic. And also a little bit of this is in the eye of the beholder, like in a war, right? Like one side, it might be a war hero, but the other side is going to see him as a war criminal. This happens with pirates. And we alluded to this a couple of weeks ago. The first, and I think maybe one of the only like three corrections we've ever made on this podcast was when we were talking about the Drake equation, which has to do with the chances of there being aliens in the universe. And that's attributed to Frank Drake. I misspoke and said Francis Drake, who was a pirate. And then we got angry emails saying that, no, Francis Drake was not a pirate. He was a privateer. But his definition actually completely depends on which country of origin you're talking about, because he was a privateer to the people who signed his papers, but he was a pirate to the people who he was not working for. So very messy. Oh, it was very messy. Yeah. As as one of our first corrections, and it had like a double correction in it. We had to correct the correction. Oh, my goodness. That was wild. This is literally 900-ish episodes ago, so it's all come full circle. Now we've done a deep dive into the nomenclature, a uh, little pirate parlance, if you will, and uh, happy International Talk Like a Pirate Day on Sunday, I guess. <laughs> you guess. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> the writer for today's pirate story was Steffi Drucker. Our managing editor is Ashley Hamer, who is also a writer and audio editor on today's episode. Our producer and lead audio editor is Cody Goff. Have a great weekend. Walk the plank. Shiver me timbers. Then join us again Monday to learn something new in just a few minutes. And until then, stay curious.